All right. We're actually recording. Got it. Well, I did this with Mike Cooley. I did it on Zoom too. And I talked to him for a minute and I said, uh, we're already recording. So, you know, I'll just cut this part out, you know, with our little hellos. And then right as I said that, I looked up and realized I was not recording. And thank God, because <laughs> I forgot to hit record. And like, that would have killed me if, you know, nice. my hero, I get to talk to him somehow and I forgot to record the thing. Yeah. And so I realized I hadn't, and I hit the record button. I thought it maybe he won't notice. I could still be cool. And then, of course, it says, you are now recording. <laughs> right after I told him, we're already recording. Yeah, yeah. Gave it away. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> Welcome to Skinnered Reconsidered. We have a fun one for you today. We have a very cool guest, a friend of mine, who's a talented musician, guitar player, singer, songwriter. You can catch him in Nashville, Tennessee, most every night. And he has a brand new album, which, okay, it actually releases about, what, five hours from now? Correct. And uh, But by the time you hear this, it's, it'll be out. It comes out October 20th. We're recording October 19th. Our guest today is the great Scotty Castile. Scotty, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Scotty, you and I kind of met on Twitter. Right. I consider you a friend who I've never actually talked to in person, so this is fun. Yeah. And, you know, part of why we connected, of course, we have uh, love of a lot of the same music, obviously Skinnerd and a lot of the Southern rock stuff. But then also you and I are both into, I guess, the alt-country, you know, the... Jayhawk, Sunvolt. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, of course, some of the newer stuff and that's in that same vein, Isbol and Sturgill and all that. So we just kind of started chatting about music. And I learned that you, of course, have played music for years. And these days, you play music downtown Nashville somewhere, what, about five nights a week? Yeah, yeah. Five nights. Okay. So how did you get into doing that? Man, I, that's actually kind of why I moved here uh, was I, I actually had a couple of friends that already worked down there and were playing and just said, you know, hey, they told me you, you could come down here and make a living playing music, man, you know, mm -hmm. and I just kind of gave it a shot. And, uh, I, I, you know, I being that they were already down there working, they kind of helped me get in. So I didn't uh, uh, I didn't just come into it without anybody there. You know, it, it could be pretty hard. Sure. I can imagine it being pretty daunting for people that don't know anybody uh, trying to get in. But I got pretty lucky. I had a friend that had had some steady gigs and he just basically immediately said, you're on this gig, come and start playing. And I just kind of baptism by fire, had to come in and see what it was all about. You know, uh, there were some pretty yeah. rough gigs in the beginning, but uh, I, I kind of understood what it was all about down there and and just kind of went with the flow. You know, that's amazing because I know that, you know, Nashville has exploded recently well i guess the last five or ten years but even way before that everyone knew that all the musicians playing downtown were were incredible i mean you have to be good to just to, to last around there so i assume it could be hard to break in especially if you don't know anyone so when did you move to nashville uh would have been uh 2014 june of 14 so i just okay. passed so my nine year anniversary <laughs> but i'm fascinated by what it's like to be a full-time working performer musician in downtown Nashville. So like for starters, I want to get some of the inside baseball if we can. So I mean, how do the bookings work? Do you talk to, you know, a couple clubs and they just book you a certain date, certain sessions for a month or two out or what's, what's the process? What does this look Man, like? It's really weird. It's not like anything else anywhere. Um, for me, I, I kind of just came into being a guitar player for hire and I just kind of relied on people to call me. I didn't deal with the clubs themselves. I don't, I didn't, and I still don't, I don't really go in and, and go to a club and talk to whoever it is that books the bands there and say, I want to play here. I want to shift. We call, you know, there, there's shifts down there, you know, there's, uh, and, uh, I, I didn't, I don't really do any of that. I just kind of relied on people that already had these gigs. Typically, I guess 
I guess to answer your question with if if you're the the band leader, say you're you want to have your own gig and you go talk to said club and say, I, I want to shift here. And if they give it to you, you're just you're responsible for putting the band together. So okay. it's like if I did that, it would just be my gig. My name would be on their website or however, if they advertise at all. And but it would be my responsibility to call a bass player, a drummer, uh, you know, an, another singer or a guitar player, or whatever I needed for that band. You know, it would be my responsibility. So it's kind of weird. They don't, you know, a lot of work. I'm it sure is. it, it like is. Herd of cats. Yeah. And so it just it worked out really well for me to just be kind of a, a the guy that those people call. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of under the radar, you know. Uh, from these clubs, you know, they don't really know me per se. And, and I just, I just show up and play guitar and I take my cut and go home every night, but it's worked out really well. A lot of people that I've worked with, you know, they get regular shifts. Like if you're pretty devoted to it uh, and, and you prove yourself to be pretty good, the people that get the shifts, um, you know, they might get three or four days a week at, you know, you know, you know that some of those clubs are there's multiple clubs within one owner, you know, yeah, so yeah. You, you could be booked to a couple of different clubs, but you're still working for the same people um, and they might get three or four shifts a week and they could come and ask me as a guitar player for hires. Do you want to do these full time with me? Do you want to just be my guitar player on this gig? And I say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then therefore, therefore, I have until that, you know, they can end at any time. But but they they could go for a while, you know. I've I've had some uh, I've had a, a some shifts that have lasted a few years uh, already, you know. I mean, that sounds like the ideal situation: to show up and play and make your money, and not have to deal directly with the club owners and all the the business part of it and the coordinating of musicians. So so when you say a shift, what is that? How long is that? Basically, four hours. Okay. They they every bar down there pretty much pretty much has four shifts a week. Yeah, okay. or, or a, a day. I'm sorry, four shifts a day. Uh, you've got ten to two, two to six, six to ten, ten to close. Mm -hmm. Some of them vary fifteen minutes from each other. Some of the clubs are a little different. They have different time slots, and that makes things really difficult if you've got more, multiple gigs a day. But that's basically the idea. Um, they they can squeeze four shifts into a day. Okay, so a four hour shift is that? What do you get? Like one little break in the middle of that, or you're basically playing the whole time? So you basically play the whole time. Sometimes um, if you've got somebody on the gig that like the, the let's say I'm, I'm playing with a, a, a band where there's just a standalone girl singer that might be fronting the gig. Um, if, if as long as she can play guitar and sing a song on her own, we can have enough time to run off stage. You, run, you know, if you need to do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Go to the restroom, uh, do whatever you need to do. But it's usually like one, maybe two songs, and then you're back up on stage. But sometimes I've been on gigs where there's nobody else there to that can handle that, you know, and you just play the whole gig. <laughs> but you know, it's four hours. I mean, I've it's you know, I, I try to look at it like I've I've worked jobs before where there were eight and ten hour days, you know, just a regular mm -hmm. job, and you get a 30 minute break in the middle of all that. So it's kind of, you know, I, I look at it like, you know, it's not a big deal to stand up there and it's not really even a full four hours, you know, it's because by the time you get started and you're set up and everything, it's like, you know, if your gig is two to six, it's like, you don't get started till two thirty, two thirty-five. you know, when all the stuff's said and done. And then you're, you actually quit about 15 minutes before six because you try to get off stage to let the next band get up. So it's right. not even a full four hours. So it doesn't bother me to play the whole time. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's not like you're out there digging ditches, but at the same time, yeah. it's it's kind of funny to me because if a band plays a three-hour show, everyone acts like, oh my God, how do they even do that? This is incredible. <laughs> that's what you guys are doing every day. Oh, yeah, yeah, and and multiple gigs. I mean, I I do two gigs a lot, you know, okay. like in a day. So you do two back-to-back, -back, and when you do that, you you finish your first gig, you just tear down, and you run to the next gig and you start setting up and you just rely on somebody from that previous gig to bring you your money later or <laughs> Venmo you the total or whatever, you know, you just trust them. You know, there's, there's a, there's a big trust thing with the money down there, but uh, yeah, you just kind of run to one gig to the other and, and just keep trucking. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it's cool. Everyone else, I'm sure, thinks it's a cool, fun job, and and I do in a lot of ways, but people should also realize that it's it's actually hard work, which which brings me to the next thing I want to discuss about this, which is etiquette. We got it. People out there, we got we to gotta act right. We're not always nailing it. I go to some shows, especially downtown Nashville, which you and I have talked about is I can imagine being in the middle of it every day. It's kind of a shit show. I mean, there are great things about it. Great musicians, great bands, but it is packed and crazy all the time. So yeah. I guess first, let me ask you, do you have any crazy stories or or just complaints that you want to air about playing Man. in New Nashville these days? I have a pretty boring outlook on it all because so many things, I mean, there's so much happens and it's all aspects, you know, there's always somebody that just gives you a hard time or there's somebody that, you know, you know, we work for tips. So there's always those people that don't want to tip you, but they want you to play their song and they throw a big fit about it or, you know, or there's the people that are just super generous with it, you know, and just totally appreciate what you're doing. And there's so many in-betweens there that, I really couldn't even come up with a single story, honestly. Sure. And I just kind of like, I've, I've learned to just accept that things are just how they are. And some things happen that you don't like, and some things happen that you do like, and just let it all go. <laughs> yeah. You seem like an even keel laid back guy, which is probably the personality you need to, to make this kind of a job work, but you touched on exactly what I was going to ask. So if I'm at a bar downtown Nashville, watching you play, I want to request a song. What is the average tip? And I know you're not saying, I know you're not going to say you have to pay this amount or but what's the right, average, right. man, you know, some people come up and they, they, the, the generous people will come up and drop a $20 bill in your bucket, right. you know, because they, they, they probably realize that you're splitting that $20 bill with four to five other people on stage, you know, right. depending on how big the band is. Sometimes you have five, sometimes you have four. Um, and, and so they, they realize that, you know, and so because, you know, it's like I've actually said on the microphone before when somebody would drop a dollar bill in the bucket, you know, you want to appreciate that. But you also have to say, thanks for the quarter, you know, right. It's <laughs> I mean, almost better not to tip you, anything. You, yeah. Yeah. You just you just basically, you know, <laughs> you split that dot. You split every dollar bill, you know, right. four to five ways. So, you know, but and, and some people will drop a five in and that's great. You know, I mean, if they're, you know. I appreciate it all, you know, to an extent. Sure. <laughs> if you hear change hit the tip bucket, you get pretty frustrated and right. you want to give it back to them. <laughs> sure. I'm sure. <laughs> now, so what? now you're just, now you're just dumping your trash on me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people I've seen, they like to buy drinks for the band or bring a drink up because I think they think that's the cool thing to do. Like, Hey, we're partying, but you're not partying. You're working. They're partying. Right. So and I'm not saying you, you might not appreciate a drink every now and then at work, but what's your take on that? That that actually does frustrate me sometimes uh -huh. because if if somebody, you know, like there are specific bars downtown, I will say that do kind of push the $20 bill thing harder than others. And okay. I play both both places. Some places we just say, just drop some love in the jug and tell us what you want to hear. And it works out. But some places say it's $20 for a request. Bottom line, that's it. Hmm. Otherwise, okay. you know, anything's appreciated. But if you want us to play you a song, that's what they do. You know, I didn't make the rule. That's just what they do. <laughs> but uh, sometimes if you're in that situation and you say, you know, it's $20 for a request. And they say, well, how about I buy you guys a round? I want to do the math for them so bad. I just want to say, look, please give me the cash spend, equivalent. <laughs> you're going to spend $60 buying yeah. this band around of shots and I'm not going to drink it. <laughs> you know, I don't always want to drink at two o'clock in the afternoon you know, when I got six more yeah. hours to go. Right. That's just it. You know, it's like, you know, that's actually more, you know, you're, even if I said five, you know, they just literally don't want to give you the cash. They just, for some reason, I guess maybe in their head, if they're just throwing a, a round of drinks on their tab, it doesn't mean anything, but yeah, it is, it is more expensive to buy the band a drink By far. than it is to just to even <laughs> just throw a $10 bill in there, you know, you know, yeah, it doesn't even have to be 20, but a round of drinks is expensive. Shots are like 12 bucks down there, 12, That's 13 insane. bucks a shot, you know, a beer's $9 at some places. 
Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, it is, it is cheaper to just tip the band. <laughs> yeah. Listeners out there, my listeners probably know this, but yeah, give them cash. They're not working for alcohol. What if you worked at yeah. your corporate job and then every two weeks, you know, your boss just said, you know, I'm going to give you half your paycheck, but the rest, I'm just going to give you a bottle yeah. of bourbon. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, like yeah. Here's a nice, here's a nice bottle of whiskey. Here's Take some, that. Yeah. yeah. Take that. Yeah. Well, what about this? Uh, Cause this sounds like the kind of nerdy shit I might do. This might be my mistake is if, you know, you, you request a song and maybe the band doesn't know because they played a song by a band and, and you, you think of another song by that band that you love. And then you, you tip 20 bucks and you ask for the song. What, what are you going to do? Are you going to just try to figure out another one they want to hear? Man, you, you usually talk to him. If you just, you know, a lot of people are pretty understanding. If you just say, man, we just don't know that song. Sometimes they get on your case about it and they're like, oh, <laughs> just, just use your phone. Just Google it. You know, like, oh, really? like the phone's <laughs> going to tell us how to, how it goes. You know, right, the just words learn it might very quickly there. while we all wait. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's one thing to have the words in front of you, but you know, you, you've got to make a lot of things happen, you know, to, to play a song you don't know. Um, and, but that's hilarious. You, you can you can talk to them. You know, sometimes you can just say, "Man, we just really don't." And I don't want to play it play it badly for you. You know, if there, is there anything else you'd like to hear? Yeah. You know? and, and and a lot of times they'll they'll come up with something else. You know. Sure. Some, sometimes it, it doesn't work out. Right. <laughs> this may depend on the the venue or the band you're playing with, but what are what are some of the most requested songs? Man, you know the the. The standard top forty country list just uh, doesn't seem to go away. It, okay. I mean, not that I want it to, but it just it's it's just you know the chicken fried Chattahoochee dust on the yeah. bottle. That stuff is just. I mean, those songs aren't even new anymore. You know, no. and just everybody just always wants to hear them. Man, you know, uh, there, there's a long list of standards that just get thrown out there. And it's, you know, it's a lot of the country stuff like that. But then there's there's some of the rock stuff, uh, you know, the Don't Stop Believing, Summer 69, that stuff, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. It just doesn't, every timeless. It just doesn't yeah. want to go away. And every, everybody still <laughs> wants to hear them, you know. And there's always that one guy, though, that tries to throw something really weird at you, you know. There's always that one person that thinks they have this deep, you know, knowledge of, yeah. of, of songs. And they want to show off what they know, you know. And then <laughs> sometimes... Sometimes you surprise them, you know. I've pulled some weird stuff out before. I played Puff the Magic Dragon one time. <laughs> How'd that go over? It was great. <laughs> they actually paid an absorbent amount of money, like they were trying to show off and said, can you play Puff the Magic Dragon? And I said, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right I can. That's great. Yeah, my, dad, my dad had all the Peter, Paul, and Mary albums, so I know that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta add, what about Sweet Home Alabama? You have to get that one. Oh, yeah. It's right. it's always there. Yeah. Never, yeah. never give that one away because someone will ask for it. Oh, I get Oh, so you think strategically. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hold There's back a strategy a song. to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Friends in low places, sweet home Alabama. Don't just play those because you want to. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never even call me by my name. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those yeah, crowd pleasers. One. Yeah. What, what, what clubs are you playing at these days? Mostly. Man, I have uh, I have a regular shift that I play Mondays and Tuesdays at Tootsie's and Friday, Saturday at Rippy's. And it's basically the same the same group of people that I play for. Cool. Um, and uh, those are all uh, two to six afternoon gigs. And then I have another one that I play uh, at Second Fiddle. Uh, with with Lauren, my girlfriend, you've probably yeah. seen me mention her name before. Of course, um, we actually play, we play together on uh, Fridays and Sundays at Second Fiddle. Okay, great. And, and that's Lauren, pretty much Lauren my Rice, yeah. who's a yes. Lauren Rice, very talented singer. Yeah, I've seen some clips of you guys playing together. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great. I've, I still haven't made it up to see you, which is shameful. But of course, I don't really ever make it into that area. But I will one day. Let me ask, so these days, if I had the kids with me, like a two to, if I showed up two o'clock to four o'clock, is it pretty reasonable oh, yeah. still at Tootsie's or is it oh, yeah. out of control? Okay. No, no, man. Uh, you know, actually our, our Sunday gig at Second Fiddle that I do with Lauren is, is, is a great one. Okay. Um, there, write that down. Uh, it's, yeah. It's always a lot of fun. Cause I mean, I don't know if the, you know, if the weekends are easier for you, but yeah, they um, are. um, 
you know, it, there's always all ages in there. People bring their kids in during the day and stuff. And it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, cool. it's, that's before, the, before all the madness happens. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what I need to do. That's when I need to do it. Okay. So before we get into your album, which I really want to talk to you about, because I love the first three songs, the three songs that I've heard. This is a Skinner podcast. So I know you have maybe a, a story or two. I've seen a picture, I believe, of you and your band, I think, on stage with Artemis Pyle. Yep. So tell me, how did that come to be? Tell me about that one. Uh, that was in the early 2000s. That particular gig was actually in 2003. Around late 2001, well, technically early 2002, uh, the band that I had had for a long time, we decided to, to uh, go full time and try to try to hit the road. You know, we jumped in a van and traveled the country and, and did that for a few years, actually. And uh, we were playing at a bar that we actually played regularly at in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And somebody there one night, or I guess it was somebody that had heard us there several times. It was a local uh she was actually uh, putting on some kind of uh, little event. I think it was like earth awareness or some kind of, you know, charity events kind of thing, you know, yeah. and uh, um, in Melbourne, Florida, which is just South of there, not too far. And uh, she said that she was looking for bands and she wanted to know if we wanted to do it. And we were like, yeah, that'd be great. We, you know, we were, we were game to do whatever back then, you know? Sure. And she said, well, Artemis Pyle is going to be the headline act. And we're <laughs> like, well, sign us up. Let's yeah. do it. You know, that would be fun. You know, just a, just a meeting, you know, would be cool, you know? And, uh, and it was a legit deal. Uh, it was, uh, you know, sometimes people offer gigs and they kind of turn out to be something you don't expect, but um, it was a real nice situation, man. Great production, big stage. And uh, there was a couple of bands, I think before, during the day, but we were actually the band that went on right before Artemis Pyle. Oh, cool. and, and it was just a real fun gig, man. He, he was super cool to us. He actually uh, came up. It was so funny because we were, we were such a ragtag operation, man. We literally had a box of our, we had CDs that we made of our own, you know, that we sold at gigs. And while we're on this stage and this stage is nice, man, it's a very nice production covered stage, big lights, big sound. And uh, we have our box, a cardboard box of CDs just sitting in front at the lip of the <laughs> stage. You know, we don't even have like a merch table. We're just like these <laughs> yeah. CDs around there. We figured, you know, if somebody came up there, I'll lean over and sell them a CD sure. or whatever. And well, we're merch playing box. Artemis. Uh, yeah. And we're playing the gig and it's going great. And the sound is just fantastic. And we're really getting into it, you know. And because uh, we're used to playing little bars. So this was fun for us. You sure. Know? And so Artemis actually walks up to the front of the stage and starts reaching in that box of CDs and holding them up and showing ah. people, you know, like, come, you know, he was just like, That's so cool. we just sounded, you know, yeah, he thought we sounded great. And he was just really cheering us on, you know, and uh, he came up to us afterwards, you know, and just, just said we did a great job and was super nice. And then he invited us on stage with him towards the end of their gig. They obviously they closed with Freebird, and he had a deal where he, uh, he wanted to come out front and sing the first half of Freebird, or the, mm -hmm. the, the vocal part anyway. He wanted to sing it. And so he actually asked our drummer at the time to go back and play drums. Oh, cool. So he gets on Artemis's kit and he's playing the, the slow part of Freebird while Artemis is singing it. And then when it, you know, and that's what the pictures you see are him standing there at the microphone singing and we're just kind of hovering around him like, you know, <laughs> you know, a bunch of crazy people. But, uh, uh, when it got to the, it was funny because when it got to the fast part, he ran around back to the drums because he wanted to, he obviously was going to play the last half of it, you know, and he, our drummer said it was really funny because he said when he ran back there, he was like, get out of the way. <laughs> it was just like, like just, you know, and I think too, I think in that, that, that show we were, they were under a, a, like a time limit. They had to shut the music down at a certain time, like a sound ordinance or something. Right. And it's so, not time to break out Freebird. <laughs> no, well, here's the funny thing is, is I think we ended up going over. And so they got real stressed out. He was really oh. nice to us, but I think they got stressed out because we kind of pushed the limit a little bit on our time. And uh, he was trying to get through Freebird real quick and, you know, get, did to all the important stuff, you know, before yeah. they, before they got in trouble. So it was, it was kind of funny, but it, it, it went great. He was super nice to us 
and it was just a fun gig. Got some pictures, and I've got video of it from somewhere. Oh, um, gotta find that somewhere on my hard, somewhere on a hard drive. I've got some video. I'll have to try to dig up and see if I can get it to you. It's pretty funny. You should. I think I think there's actually video of of Artemis grabbing those CDs and holding them up. Man, that's a great story. Because <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of bands would be. You know, the headliner would be pretty pissed if the opener went over and they had to rush. Yeah. But instead, he's out there hawking your CDs. I mean, yeah. you get to be on stage with Artemis for Freebird. That's that's pretty yeah. incredible. That had to be a special yeah. moment. It really was. It was super cool, man. Did Am I correct that you've also met Ed King? I did. That was another uh, weird chance meeting, too, man. Uh, we were actually playing a gig. This was in our in our home turf. We were well, sort of. I'm from Springfield, Missouri. I lived in Springfield, Missouri at this point in time. And uh, we had a gig in Branson, which is just, you know, 30, 40 minutes down the road. So it was kind of like our hometown, you know. And uh, we were actually opening for Billy Ray Cyrus at a, at a theater there in Branson. And uh, it was funny, too, because he did two shows. He did like a, a matinee and an evening gig. And we opened both of them. And, uh, and we, oh, wow. we got that gig because we knew a lot of people in Branson uh, and uh, somebody knew us and just kind of hooked us up with the gig. That's all it was. You know, we didn't have any affiliation with Billy Ray or even really barely even met him. Um, but uh, we were opening for him. Well, we were sitting, we're sitting out back of this theater. We had sound checked and we were just kind of killing time. We had, we had a lot of time to, to spare. We were sitting out back, just hanging out. And I see this car pull up. It's like a big SUV. And I, I look at him and he parks and I look at my, I think my bass player at the time was sitting next to me or somebody was. And I said, that's Ed King. <laughs> I, I really think it, I recognized him right off, literally drove himself to this gig. And I'm assuming he drove up from Nashville. I think he lived in Nashville at the time. And uh, this is back in like 2006, I think. Uh. And, uh, and so I said, that's Ed King, you know, and I'm like, what is he doing here? You know, well, it turned out he was evidently a feature in Billy Ray Cyrus's show. Really? Um, yeah, he evidently was doing this thing with him. I don't know how many shows he did with him, uh, but he did this thing where he brought him out and introduced him. And they did a couple, I think they did a couple of Skinner songs, probably Sweet Home. And I think mm -hmm. they did like Call Me the Breeze or something. I don't even remember now. Wow, I didn't know that. But uh, yeah, it, I don't know how long that lasted or again, yeah. I don't even know how many shows he did, but he was just this feature in Billy Ray Cyrus's show. But it's just crazy that he drove himself to this gig, you know, yeah. and uh, it was like eight hours away, you know, if he if he came from Nashville, you know. And huh. uh, so uh, we played it. We didn't I didn't like run up to him or anything. You know, we just kind of let him. I'm, I'm not the type of person to really approach people a lot. I don't like doing that. And uh, mainly because I never know what to say. Yeah, same here. <laughs> you know, just like, hi. And then it stops. You <laughs> know, nowhere. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, I think they he went in and he did his sound check. And I actually remember standing off to the side of the stage watching him sound check, you know, Very just cool. kind of just, in, yeah, just thinking, oh, how cool is this? And uh, I think it was after we played our, our, our matinee set that we, we didn't meet him until after I think we played. If I remember right, I could be wrong about that. It's been a long time, but uh, I think we had played our first set and then you have like a couple of hours to kill. And again, we were just kind of hanging out back outside and he was sitting outside, uh, just smoking a cigar, hanging out, you know, and yeah. we actually went ahead and just sat down and introduced ourselves and said, you know, we were the band that played before, you know, and he was just like, oh, cool, man. And again, what a sweet human. He was just so cool. And he actually like, he, he was like, seemed like he wanted to talk to you. Like he uh -huh. wanted to like tell you stories and he wanted to kind of get your input on things. He was like asking us questions and, and he was kind of asked about some songs we were playing. We actually had done a Skinner song in our set. Okay. In that. Which, which song? Was, you're going to love it. It was that smell. Oh, right. My favorite. <laughs> your favorite. My favorite. We, we, we loved playing that. Well, it was funny because that was, it was one of our favorites to play, honestly. And, and I know we, we, we've all had this, this conversation yeah. uh, uh, before about it, but uh, from a musical aspect, it was a lot of fun to play and we felt like we did sure. a really good job of it. So we played it and he was, he thought that was really cool that we played that. He actually made the comment. He said, uh, he said, who was playing that? 
Steve Gaines parts on that. And I told him it wasn't me. It was the other guy, you know, and he said, man, he goes, that stuff was so hard, man. He actually like, you know, was talking about how good Steve Gaines was. And when oh, he yeah. had to learn those parts, he was just like, man, he goes, that is just, he, he you know, he said it was pretty tough to play, you know, I believe and, it. And pretty yeah. cool stuff. But, but again, it was just super cool. And uh, another funny part about that story is our bass player actually went out went back inside and got his bass and brought it out to him. He had this, he had this old, it was actually his backup bass. It was like this old SG bass, you know, just old school. He never played it, but he had it for his backup and he wanted to show it to Ed and, and Ed took it and started showing him how he played bass on simple man. Oh, amazing. And, and again, I think, I think my friend actually has the video somewhere. I don't have that video, but I think he actually videoed him showing him how what he played in the studio on simple man he was like showing this is what i did and incredible and that yeah what a moment man just super cool and he was he was again he was just super nice man yeah it's easy to forget that he played bass on that first album but what a yeah. uh what a great moment when you're a a band touring and playing any show you can and trying to get by those those moments have to keep you going it, it, it was, it was, it was very motivating. <laughs> yeah. I, I think of all the stories I've heard, of course, I don't know. I'm guessing, I don't know any of these people personally and either guys in Skinner, but it, it seems like every story you hear about Ed King is positive. Just seems like he was such a yeah. gracious, friendly guy. Well, that, that was our only moment with him. And, and it was, it was super, he was, he was super sweet. He was really cool. nice, man. That's great. Do you have, do you have a favorite Skinner album or? Man, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I, I love them all so much. Do you still um, listen to them? Or is, you know, I know for a lot of us, I mean, it's different for me doing this podcast, but there are these songs you've heard a million times. You love them. And, you know, maybe you revisit every now and then, but do you find yourself going back to those records or? I, I actually do, man. I actually cool. do. Sometimes I'll just feel like, you know, throwing a random album in and, and yeah. just and just listed on the way to work or something, you know, uh, man, I actually still do. Man. That's I great. Still, I still go back into that stuff, man. I think second helping is a really good one for me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was, it was my introduction to the band. My dad actually had recorded second helping from an album that he borrowed from my uncle onto <laughs> a reel to reel deck. Oh, wow. Like the big, like the big, yeah, TAC reel to reel. And my, so my dad had this copy of Second Helping on reel to reel. Wow. As, um, you know, or whatever you call them, you know. And yeah. uh, so whenever he would get that out, that's the one I would always ask, you know, I was pretty little at the time. And uh, I would always ask him to play that one, you know. And right. That was, so that was, that was kind of my first listening to, you know, the first thing I ever remember hearing was, you know, that count off to Sweet Home Alabama, you know, yeah. one, two, three and then it you know kicks in and and then everything else on that album obviously was great um so that was kind of my my introduction to the band i didn't hear any more really until i got older and okay. started you know venturing and buying my own music and stuff you know after as you know teenager you know right. high school or something you know, i started getting into uh digging into more of the catalog but that was really the only stuff i'd ever heard for a long time yeah you're kind of like me your dad turned you on to it uh, second helping might be my favorite as well. It's it's pretty hard to beat. I mean, those first two records, there's there just weren't any misses. It's pretty amazing still. I for me, I, I feel like it you can hear the fire. You can hear that they were they were excited and and into it and, and they were top of their game, you know everything was happening for him, you know? And then I feel like after that, you kind of almost, you can get the vibe of the, the wearing down and the, yeah. you know, obviously the, you know, the, the stories are there, you know, that the schedule was brutal, you know, the substance, whatever it was, you almost get that vibe that everything, I mean, the songs are there, the songs are great, you know, but I, I just feel like there's something about those first two albums that everything just seemed to be, fire and you know it was just really happening that's a good way to put it i haven't hadn't really thought of it like that but you're right those first two albums they're hungry they're just nailing every performance and i mean talking about you working hard as a musician you know famously they 
practiced eight hours a day in the hell house and Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't messing around, but then it does make sense that after a few years of that, and then all the relentless touring. And then of course the substance abuse, it's, you're going to start burning out. And I agree. I think that shows up here and there on the later records. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to say that because you don't want to say they're bad. No, Um, they're not. You know, nothing fancy and bullets are, I think are great albums, but I, I, I just, I almost feel like they, it was I just, there was just less that adventure, I guess. I don't know. Or less fire. Uh, yeah. And, and plus it's like, where do you go from there? If those are your first two yeah. albums, oh, I mean, no. who could keep up that, that pace and that level. All right. So I want to talk about your music now because okay. you have this album, which as we speak is about to come out. It's released October 20th. Uh, by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be out. The album is called Some Kind of Fool. And I've heard the three songs that you released. Mm-hmm. And man, I can't tell you how happy I was that I loved them because I like you. I knew you're a talented guy, but you never know if you're going to connect with yeah. somebody's music. And then yeah. I heard the first one, loved it. I was like, all right, next one is going to be same level. It was. Third one's great too. I knew you'd be a great guitar player, but the songwriting is top notch, I think. Well, thank um, you, man. So I'm really excited for you to to release this music out into the world and people need to check it out. Tell us the story of how this album was recorded. I know it goes back a while. It does. It's it's actually kind of funny because I've had this stuff sitting around for many years. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I had that the band I had that was on the road with for a long time uh, dissolved in 2007. And uh, I really didn't have anything after that. I, I didn't have any, I, it just, it stopped. And I just kind of was sitting there by myself basically going, man, I don't, I don't have a band. I don't, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to play music anymore. I'm just, uh, I had to get a job, <laughs> you know, and I did. <laughs> and, uh, did it. <laughs> well, the, the, the one thing I thought about was, well, I, I had some songs written that I'd never, uh, there was a couple songs I had written that I had never done anything with or hadn't shown to the band or whatever, just never got around to showing them to the band. And, and, uh, and I also in, in my, uh, uh, I, I, I got pretty depressed, I guess, you know, when that happened, you know, I was like hey, anybody, would, I guess, you know, of course. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a big deal to me and, and it just kind of all stopped real quick. And, and, right. and, then, and then I, I really just completely altered everything. My entire lifestyle really, and uh, I wrote a few after that, you know, in that, in that, uh, you know, sad period. But d- 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 also generate I was, songs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dumped out a few songs during that time. And uh, again, I guess this is, yeah, this would have been like, you know, late 2007. And uh, I decided I would uh, maybe invest a little bit in some home recording gear because I'd never done that. I'd never done anything myself, really. I, anytime we had recorded, it was somebody else had some stuff or had a small studio and you'd do it there, you know. And uh, so I decided, you know, that stuff was so ready, readily available. Uh, you know, you just need a computer now, you know. And, and I had all the instruments that I needed. I, I owned a drum set. I actually played drums. Um, I had everything I needed to record other than the the software, you know, so I, I yeah. dove into the software world. I bought recording equipment and uh, I started just jumping in. I mean, and I didn't have any formal training in it at all. I just kind of jumped in and started pushing buttons. And I, uh, I, I recorded these songs. I, I sat down, I played, I literally played drums myself. I didn't do the drum machine thing. I didn't do any yeah. virtual instruments. I, because I've, really wouldn't know how to do that stuff. You know, I'm super old school here. And so I, I played drums, I played bass guitar and I played guitar parts over it and I sang. And uh, there's actually, I got to remember one, two, three, four. I think there's five songs on the album that I did during that time. So these songs have been recorded since basically about 2008. I, I recorded all these and then, I was just like, cool. I have them. They're there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So hang on, just hang been... on. Damn, Scott. So that the songs I've heard of those three, is that you on the drums? 
the uh, first one tonight. Tonight? Damn. Yes. I mean, I'm not surprised you can play bass, and I know you're a great guitar player, but the drums sound great. And, well, and the recording sounds high quality. Man, I'm blown I away. Just... I'm, I'm not I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I'm blown away that you did all that on your own with your own home recording equipment, especially back then when it's more difficult, right? The technology yeah. had, was catching up, but yeah, it was the t- the technology was kind of there, but I I wasn't so much into the technology that I kind of just used ev- used that equipment as a tape machine. You know what I mean? I didn't mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't I didn't look into it to see, oh, what kind of crazy plugins and software do you have to to make this happen? I just kind of like used it. I used microphones and I just did it like I would if in the old days when you had a tape deck and you recorded it, you know, so I just kind of did it like I knew it, you know, just try to make a good, have a good sound to begin with. And, and hopefully it comes out. Okay. I was, I always kind of questioned it, honestly. Um, Sounds good. And yeah, you're a good drummer too. You're starting to piss me off, but sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, it's okay. But that that particular song, I played everything on it. That's I'm singing all the harmonies. I played all the instruments. That was literally just me by myself in a bedroom. Um, but I, I will say is that I did have all this stuff professionally mixed and mastered here in okay, town. That so helps. I, I didn't do any of that myself. I definitely didn't trust myself to do that. I I even gave it to this a friend of mine to to mix. I said, I said, let me know if this stuff is just like even usable. I mean, be honest uh-huh. with me, you know, because I questioned my my ability to record all this stuff. I just did it to have it, you know. Yeah. And he, he actually sat down with it and he sent me some mixes and I just went, whoa, this sounds totally different than the way it sounded when I was doing it, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, it really he helped it out a whole lot. It was helped out a whole lot. It wasn't, you know, I, I did play everything on that one, but uh, it was the mixing and, and all that really helped it out a lot for sure. Well, sure. No, it works. We're, we're talking about the song called tonight, which I mean, if I had to pick a favorite of the three, it would be hard, but that one does kind of stand out to me. Uh, I love the, what is the, I guess she don't feel that way tonight. It's just kind of a memorable, catchy line there at the end. She told me that she loved me. She told me And the guitar solo, do you play, obviously you played everything on this song, but do yeah. you play all the guitar on this entire album, I'm guessing? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I actually did. I guess thinking about me was the last thing on her There's about three other songs. There's only going to be eight songs on the album. And like okay. I said, five of them are 100% me playing. The other three uh, had some had some help. Some Kind of Fool, which was the second one I released, yeah. um, uh, actually had had somebody play drums on that for me. I had somebody play bass on it. The only thing I did was play the guitars and sang. Um, and I actually recorded some of that uh, at somebody else's studio too. So okay. since I've been in Nashville, you know, you you meet people, <laughs> you that know, and you, yeah. you you know, and I figured out, you know, God, if if there's a if there's a drummer that I know that's that I know is good and is actively recording for people, he's going to be a lot better than me trying to, you know, because it takes me forever to do that stuff. <laughs> when I <laughs> yeah, did why it, not it was get some like, help. I had yeah. to I had to devote an entire day to playing a drum track to those songs that I played on, man. So it was it was a nightmare for me. But uh, so now now I have more connections and I I utilized them, you know. Yeah, yeah. But hey, I love that guitar solo on on tonight and the cool little guitar run at the end. Yeah, it's just great stuff. Um, so you Thanks. mentioned the second song I heard from you was some kind of fool. The uh, the opening kind of reminded me of Easton and Maine by the 
Turnpike Troubadours. I don't know if you're a fan or not. And of course, it's a classic kind of upbeat, sad country song. Well, that was kind of that was kind of the whole thing with that song. Uh, that song actually is one of the older songs on the album. I actually had played that song with my old band before, and it was completely it, different. It wasn't a country shuffle before. It was actually uh-huh. a straight a straight rock beat. Um, okay. And I just and I sat down with that song one time and I thought, you know, I wonder what this song would sound like if I did it like this, because I had I didn't have any songs that were like shuffles or like a country kind of shuffle thing. You know, And I thought that would be nice to mix things up. And I started playing like that. And I was like, I think this works, man. And, and so I just completely revamped the whole song. Um, and, and it is kind of one of those things where it's like it's kind of it's kind of sad, but I wanted it to bounce. You know, I wanted it to exactly. be kind of. Yeah, it's, it's, it does have that bouncy feel. And I'm a sucker for a, a country shuffle. Listen to Prairie Lee Sing, woman Wear your hair down for me and then the third one I've heard, it's I Can't Write a Love Song, which mm-hmm. is a very pretty ballad. How'd you go about writing that one? Man, um, that that one's weird because I don't really have much stuff like that at all. That's like one of the only songs that I really sat down and got really emotional with. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. not that I was I was emotional, but it was it's you know, it's an emotional song. It's very it is. it's very subtle and and soft, you know, it's just a different side. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of sat down one night and uh, it just kind of came out. I really, I don't even remember. I just was sitting in my bedroom and just started kind of playing something slow. And it just kind of all just fell out of me. You know, it was, yeah. uh, you know, it's everything. I will say that all these songs, they, they do have a story. <laughs> I, okay. I didn't make, I didn't make anything up. Um, <laughs> true uh, to yeah. life. Yeah. 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 They are, they are true stories, you know, and uh, just, it, it wasn't until I, I moved here to Nashville and, and started kind of venturing out musically, listening to different stuff. And I started listening to things like, uh, and I, I'll, like Jason Isbell. And I, I, not, that, not that he was an inspiration for me writing that song because I already had that song written. But when I listened to Southeastern, I was like, that's cool that he's just sitting there with an, and you know, there's stuff that, that, that album's got stuff on it, but it's still, it's, it feels like you're listening to him with an acoustic guitar singing you songs. Feels intimate. Yep. And, and I thought, you know, I want to do something like that. And that's, I think that was just the song for it, man. And I, I thought I already got the song. I want to record this in this, that kind of setting, you know? So it was kind of that, that made me want to dig that back out and, and think that, you know, it's okay. To, it's okay to be a softy once in a while. <laughs> Absolutely. And, of course uh, it is. Well, girl, you look so pretty smiling back at me. But I know the ending, it don't look so pleasing. And just hold me tight, or girl, if only for tonight. Cause I know you'll be gone. Come the morning light I can't seem to write a love song But I sure can sing the blues But if I ever write a love Yes, it won't be about you. The album releases at midnight. I know you probably don't have some huge marketing team behind you. What's kind of the expectations for you or how do you look at it? If I were you, I'd just be excited to put these great songs out in the world for people to hear. But what's sort of your state of mind about this album release? I think that's just it for me is just getting it out. And, and you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't, there wasn't streaming, you know, like, like there is now, you know, and yeah. 
you you didn't get music out into the world unless you were peddling it at gigs on CDs or you you know and to even have the money to do that was tough you know that was an expensive right. endeavor um or you had a record deal you know and you were you know if you didn't have those things it was hard to get music out and and granted it's still a struggle in streaming because you're just throwing music out there with billions of other songs you know and, and, and there's so much content yeah it's it's got its own own problems but the fact that you can just throw it out there is just like it's 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 kind of nice because i've had these songs sitting here doing nothing for so long it's like i might as well you know and even I, i'm not doing any major promotions other than just telling you guys about it and mm-hmm. you know posting it on my on my social media pages sure. you know and just thinking you know i'm not even i'm not even playing it you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not even playing these songs yeah. out or with anybody, you know, I'm just, well, maybe is, not right now, but you never know. Yeah. You never know, but it, it is kind of fun to just know that now it's available. If somebody comes across it and likes it, that's great. That's, that's kind of my, my outlook on it. You know, it is, it's, it's fun to just be able to have it out into the world. And yeah. Yeah. It is kind of a beautiful thing. I mean, like you said, it's, it's pretty great that with technology, we can put anything out. That's the only reason I can do this dumb podcast. And <laughs> Yeah, and you get a few people that listen and enjoy it, and uh, that, that, maybe that's enough. But yeah, I'm glad you put these songs out. I'm glad I can hear them. I'm looking forward to the next five. So, yeah, the name of the album is Some Kind of Fool. It's funny, I just released the episode, uh, the One More Time episode yesterday, and was talking about how Ronnie uses the word fool so often. That's a great yes. word that... People don't use enough in conversation. You hear it in songs more, I think. Maybe that's just me, but uh, I like the word fool. So the, the name of the album is Some Kind of Fool. You guys should check it out. Where can they look you up, Scotty, if they want to follow along? Um, man, I'm I'm on Twitter or whatever you want to call it these days. <laughs> we call it Twitter. Here we call it we, Twitter. <laughs> we call it Twitter. You know what it is. Um, Scotty Castile. Uh, I, I just recently got back on Facebook after about a four or five year hiatus. Um, I really only did it because I was uh, doing the album. I thought, well, I've got a lot of friends that probably wonder what happened to me. <laughs> and, and I'm on Instagram. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, I'm out there on all the all the social media things, man. Um, and, and the music is, is everywhere, whatever you stream it on, it should be there. Amazon, cool. iTunes, Spotify, whatever, whatever you're using. Mm-hmm. And somewhere playing in downtown Nashville almost every day. Right. So man, it's been fun getting to know you. I'm glad we got to do this. And, yeah, uh, man. again, I'm excited about your, your music coming out of, I've really enjoyed what I've heard. So, uh, appreciate you coming on to talk about it with us. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks Scotty. Have a good one. You too.